Imagine if you will. You are a farmer or rancher somewhere out in the southwest, and you wake up one night because you hear your animals going nuts. The cows are mooing. The pigs are oinking. Your spouse is snoring. It's a strange cacophony of sounds that makes you get it. You decide to go outside to see what is causing all the animals to be so disturbed. Armed with your trusty rifle, or a long stick if you were too tired to find a weapon, you sleepily walk towards the animal pins. And then you see it. Low to the ground, you see an animal hunched over something. Is it a coyote? A rabid dog? You don't know. As you slowly creep towards the creature, it turns to you. You notice the animal has red eyes. You think to yourself, nothing good comes from an animal with red eyes, right? You raise your stick, gun, towards the creature, when all of a sudden it rears up on its hind legs and emits a god-awful sound that makes you turn your head and cover your ears. When you look back, the creature is gone. Your heart is racing, forehead beating with sweat despite it being a cool 40 degrees outside, or 4 degrees Celsius. You approach the area where the creature was, and you see one of your prized heifers laying on the ground, a shell of its former self. You rush back into the house, call the local sheriff, and then come back with a flashlight, because in your haste to run outside, you committed horror story sin number one, and not bringing a light when it's dark outside. You approach the poor heifer and shine the light down only to notice two small puncture wounds in the neck of the animal. You ponder what has happened while waiting for the sheriff to arrive. Did a coyote develop a new hunger for blood? Did you see a vampire and all the stories were wildly misrepresented? Did a vampire and coyote have some strange offspring? A vampiote? Or, the tiny voice in the back of your head whispers, What if it was the strange creature the other farmers have been talking about? The capybara or whatever it's called. Well, I mentioned no longer, listeners, because in today's episode of Bearded Things, we're talking the Chucacabra. Hello and welcome to another episode of Bearded Things. I am your bearded host, my name is Tyler. I hope you enjoyed that uh, new cold opening type situation thing going on that, that I did. Um, like I mentioned in the update episode, something kind of new that I want to try. And, um, you know, kind of a la the, the Office and some of these other shows that do a lot of like the cold openings. I thought I would give it a whirl. So, let me know what you think. Uh, if you love it, if you hate it, please let me know. Either way... Um, well, my feelings might be hurt if you hate it, but that's okay. You know, I'm, I'm open to feedback. <laughs> so let me know what you thought about it. And I am pre-recording this episode as it comes out, so I don't have any current events. Um, nothing fun to talk about prior to the episode. So I'm just going to kind of get into it. And I just want to wish all of you a happy Tuesday, happy Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, whatever day it may be that you're listening to this on. I do want to, now that I'm recording this the second time, Hopefully the audio sounds a lot better. Wish me luck. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's going to do it. We're going to get into it. And, yeah. So, the Chukacabra. Like I mentioned, the format of the podcast is going to be slightly different. And part of that is due to my love of history and really wanting to research things. Hopefully, through this process, 
we're going to learn something along the way. I'm going to learn something. You're going to learn something. It's going to be a, a fun time. One of the segments of each episode is something that I talked about in the update, and I'm going to call the bearded background. Well, I will hopefully be calling it the bearded background, because if you guys don't like it, I can get rid of it, but I think you guys are going to like it, because I like it. And in this segment, I'm going to, again, hopefully, be able to guide us through some of the history of a given topic, or at least set the tone for what we're going to be learning. So let's get into the bearded background. And I do at one point want to make a jingle out of this, make a song or a ditty. So any of you creative folks out there, please feel free to um, let me know if you have any thoughts, ideas, and we'll try to make that happen. So as I mentioned in the opening, El Chucacabra is a blood-sucking creature known to frequent the Southwest United States, Mexico, parts of Central America, and is accused by many to be the animal responsible for the cattle mutilation in all those areas. But it didn't start there. I will dig deeper into the origins and stuff soon, but first I wanted to touch on the history of animal mutilation in general. Now there are stories dating all the way back to the 17th century, and as much as I love you guys, and as much as I love history, I'm not going to dig through, you know, five centuries, four centuries of information. <laughs> so, and for the most part, you know, the common concept of modern animal mutilation or animal excision didn't really come into what we know it as until the 1960s. According to the FBI, the earliest attacks on animals that we would consider mutilation began in the 1970s. Starting in 1973, authorities began getting reports from a farmer in the Midwest, mainly Kansas and Nebraska, that their cattle were being found dead with, quote, ears, eyes, rectum, and sex organs all being cut away with surgical precision. In December of 1973, the Kansas Brand Commissioner's Office did an investigation spanning 11 counties and determined that majority of the deaths occurred due to natural causes, such as bovine respiratory disease and blackleg. Bovine respiratory disease, in particular, is one of the most prevalent killers of cattle in the U.S. and is usually brought on by stress. In August of 1974, the Lincoln Journal Star ran an article about farmer Richard Benez who found one of his cattle mutilated in the field. The article went on to mention that the official sheriff report indicated that, quote, the animal's tail, anus, and uterus were all cut out. The hair had been stripped from the remainder of the tail. The cow's right ear, right eyeball, and right jowl were cut off, and the right side of the head was skinned. Aside from all that, it was considered even more weird that there was little to no blood around the animal. Even more strange it was noted that a helicopter was seen flying around 400 to 500 feet above the area where the cow was found dead. Again, according to the newspaper report, this was the eighth incident to happen in the area in the month. The local sheriff, a man named Herbert Thompson, contacted the FAA to see what helicopters were flying around the area, but they reported that they did not have any record of flights. Local farmers began guarding farms with weapons, which prompted the local Air National Guard to order the pilots to fly higher than usual in an effort to not be shot down by, quote, jittery farmers, <laughs> which to me just sounds very silly. And I can only imagine, you know, the pilots in their briefing and, you know, the commanding officer walks out and he's like, all right, men or women. Well, it's the 70s. So men, we're going out there in our, in our helicopters. Like, don't let them jittery farmers get at us. <laughs> so it just I don't know, makes me laugh. By 1975, there are almost 200 cases of cattle mutilation in the state of Colorado. 
The issue gained so much fame that the Colorado Associated Press voted the cattle mutilations as the biggest news story in the state that year. By the end of the decade, there were thousands of reported cattle mutilation in the South and Midwest that cost farmers millions of dollars. Around this time, the FBI are asked to investigate, but due to not having federal jurisdiction at the time, which is kind of ironic considering they are the Federal Bureau of Investigation, they were only allowed to investigate cases that happened on native reservations. Regardless of the ability to investigate multiple cases, in 1979, they ultimately came to the conclusion that, quote, none of the reported cases has involved what appear to be mutilations by other than common predators. Despite this conclusion, cases of mutilation began growing in number. By 2019, news hack Tucker Carlson stated that there had been over 10,000 cases of cattle mutilation in the past 40 years. Granted, I want you to take that information with a huge grain of our all-natural, grass-fed, organic, pink Himalayan sea salt. But it does kind of show how cases have skyrocketed. And to me, I think that may go along the lines that more people are reporting the mutilation as news coverage ramps up, as opposed to more cases happening. You know what I mean? Regardless, what do scientists, farmers, conspiracy theorists, and investigators think are the cause? Well, probably not surprising, the scientific community agrees with the initial FBI conclusion in 1979. They state that the missing lips, mouth, and parts of the sex organs missing can be explained by the dehydration and burrowing parasites. The eyes and soft organs are said to be explained away by insects such as blowflies, which feast on squishy organs as after an animal has died. The absence of blood can be explained away by blood pooling in low points and seeping into the ground and or any blood being spilled being consumed by insects or the sun. The incisions that look like cuts can be explained away by the body bloating, then shrinking, which causes tearing that has been shown as linear cuts to the body. But that's just what those silly scientists want us to believe. Other explanations include the most dangerous predator of them all. No, not bears or lions. Humans, us. As anyone who has listened to prior episodes when we talk about serial killers and sociopaths, animal mutilation is usually a big first indicator in realizing that someone may have a problem. Now, we usually associate the mutilation and abuse involving small animals, but psychologists state that larger animal mutilation is common, just not as talked about. Another human example is cults. <laughs> yep, you heard me right on that one. There are several cases of cults sacrificing animals as part of some sort of ceremony. This would explain the lack of blood and other surgical type cuts as the cult members would want to keep the blood for their ceremonies. In fact, in the 1970s, there were reports of hooded figures prowling around areas that would later be sites of animal mutilations in Blaine County, Idaho. Still more people believe it's the big G at work. The government. Cue scary music. Many people believe that the government and or the military are using cows and other large animals to experiment new weaponry without being caught. These people point to the helicopters flying around the ranch in the mid-70s as a start. In fact, in July of 1975, a reporter for self-published newspaper Brush Banner, a man named Dane Edwards, published an article talking about cattle mutilation and thinking a cult was involved. When the lead that he had dried up, he began looking at other options and came to the conclusion that it was the government. Not only that, but he hypothesized that they were developing biological weapons to use in Vietnam. Instead of dismissing the report, 
Edwards claimed he was silenced by the government and wrote to Colorado Senator Floyd Haskell to express his displeasure at the government silencing him. Here's where it gets a little interesting. So check this shit out. Edwards decided to give an interview with the Colorado Springs Gazette Telegraph. That's a mouthful. Where he claimed the government was involved and expressed how he was disappointed the FBI would not get involved. He claimed in the article that he was going to write a book about the whole thing. Almost immediately after the article came out, Edwards was let go from all of his jobs and disappeared. His wife would put out a missing persons report on December 5th, 1975. He would go missing for almost 20 years. He reemerged sometime in the mid-90s, according to his son, Tobin. Edward has changed his name to Dr. David Ellsworth and claimed to have, quote, several doctorates from universities in Mexico. Moreover, the newly christened Dr. Ellsworth claimed to start the IAAP, or the International Academic Assistance Program, as a resource for English as a Second Language students to use when going to college. In February of 2003, the IAAP signed an agreement with the University of Louisiana Lafayette, even though the university now states that they have no idea how. The only evidence is a contract supposedly signed by Ellsworth and then-university president Ray Athunman. Now, this is kind of a useless tangent story, but I do think it leads a little bit of credibility to maybe the government being somewhere involved where it's going to make this guy leave the country go missing for 20 years, and come back under an alias. Or, maybe Dane Edwards is just a nut job. I don't know. <laughs> and now, other than humans, or natural predators, what could be causing the animal mutilations? Well, it's obviously aliens, right? At least many people believe that to be the case. In the Midwest, in the 1970s, there were several reported sightings of UFOs flying around known sites of animal mutilation. Even right now, on the History Channel, there's the show Skinwalker Ranch, and they are primarily hunting UFOs and aliens, it seems, and even had a case of cows being inexplicitly mutilated. I can go on and on about UFOs and aliens, but for the sake of time and information overload, I'm just going to say that there are lots of stories about UFOs. But, this episode's not about them. This episode is about the last widely considered possibility for animal mutilation, the chupa-fucking-cabra. The mysterious, hard-to-describe, blood-sucking animal. So with that said... Let's hear more about this scary, brooding animal. But wait, there's more. Just kidding, kind of. Before I get into the chronological history of the Chupacabra, I think it's important to translate the name for our non-Spanish-speaking audience. For anyone who grew up with Spanish-speaking friends who talk shit to you, you may be acutely aware that Chupa means to suck. <laughs> I'm not going to go into the details or the phrasing on what came after Chupa, but I'm sure you guys can probably use your imagination. Cabra, on the other hand, may not be as well known unless someone's like grandmother was yelling at you for being silly. Cabra means goat in Spanish, so chuca cabra literally translates into goat sucker. Now for those of you who are familiar with Spanish conjugation and are curious as to why it's el chuca cabra as opposed to la chuca cabra, all I have to say is you need to shut up, nerd. Who cares about conjugation? Well, as someone who took four years of Spanish in high school and three years in college, I kind of do. And it's actually pretty simple. I apologize for mansplaining Spanish conjugation right now, but it'll be quick, I promise. Despite the fact that most nouns have a masculine and feminine versions depending on the perceived gender of the noun in question, compound nouns are always masculine no matter what. So since the name of the animal is chupa, conjugated from the verb chupar, which means to suck, and cabra, which is a noun, meaning goat, 
Chupacabra is a compound noun and therefore will always be L and never La. So there you go. I hope that wasn't a waste of time or that you hated it. If you did, well, go fuck yourself. It's my podcast. Just kidding. I love you. Please don't leave. <laughs> um, I think it's pretty good information and I bet somewhere down the line there's going to be a Spanish grammar question on Jeopardy or some trivia show. And you're going to remember this little tidbit of information, and then I'm going to be owed 10% of your winnings. You've now entered into a verbal contract with me on all future earnings based on Spanish conjugation of the word. Thank you. Okay, now for the meat and potatoes of this episode. But first, I'm just kidding. I'm not going to drag this out any further, even though I would love to keep teasing you like some kind of crazy sadist. You want the chucacabra? Well, you're going to have to beg for it like a good little listener. That'd be kind of weird though, right? So let's not do that. We'll stay away from that for now. I do want to give a quick shout out. This is probably a super weird transition, so I apologize. But I'm going to give a shout out to bearded friend Gabby, who sent me a meme a little while ago about how some podcasts take forever. And after 40 minutes say, okay, let's get into it. Which I hope that's not the case. And I'm about 20 minutes in, so not bad. Um, I'm halfway there. The first reports of livestock being killed by an alleged chucacabra dates back to 1995. Which is kind of crazy to me because it feels like the legend of the chucacabra has been around forever and like much further than that but i guess it just feels that way because i was alive in 1995 and heard the stories and watched the tv shows like depicting them but it is kind of crazy that it was only about 20 years ago um oh my god no 30 years holy shit i'm so old okay sorry had a little bit of a existential crisis there okay so almost 30 years ago the first reports of an attack on livestock is reported in puerto rico or as Trump said after the hurricane, Puerto Rico. Uh, Mega Republicans, please don't come after me. Anyway, in March of 1995, officials in the town of Orcovis investigated a report of eight sheep that were discovered dead. It was considered weird because the sheep all had three small puncture wounds on their chest and were allegedly completely drained of blood. Then just about five months later, in the town of Canovanas, as many as 150 animals mostly goats, but some pets were found with small holes in them completely drained of blood. This prompted local comedian, entrepreneur, and radio host, Silverio Perez, to coin the phrase we all know and love today, El Chucacabra. During the August incident, a local woman and alleged witness, Madeline Tolentino, claimed to witness the beast. Tolentino claimed that one afternoon, her mom had awoken from a nap and saw a creature in the front yard. When Tolentino went to investigate, she claimed she saw a creature hopping in the yard like a kangaroo. It was about three feet tall, had wrinkly gray-colored skin that looked like, quote, wet leather with short fur. Both the arms and legs were thin and had three very long digits. In addition to this, the animal's face was said to be flat with slanted eyes that wrapped around the head. Oh, and running down the spine were huge long spikes. When the story came out, Tolentino met with more media and eventually was able to meet with a sketch artist who began circulating the image of the beast. I will post a copy of the sketch to Instagram, but the original sketch is definitely not what you're pitching in your mind right now. At least for me, it's not what I picture in my mind when I think of the Chucacabra. Investigators are of course reluctant to believe that there's a three foot tall kangaroo just hippity hopping out down to Puerto Rico and start killing animals by draining their blood, but they did have some precedent to work off of. So let's flash back in time, from this point, another 20 years. Now, remember the beginning of the episode during my bearded background that I hope you didn't fall asleep during? 
when I mentioned potential explanations for the Chukacabra, or for animal mutilations, of all the explanations I mentioned, which do you think officials would gravitate towards first? Yep, you guessed it. Cults. Not only were there reports of cult behavior involving animals back in the States during the 1970s, in 1975, there was a cult in, you guessed it, Puerto Rico. There was, and I guess still is, a town named Mocha in Puerto Rico that had a rampage of livestock killings in 1975. On February 25th, 1975, 15 cows, 3 goats, 2 geese, good readings, angry ass birds, and a pig were found with puncture marks on the body and drained of blood. Police initially reported the killings as a result of a dog attack, but the public didn't buy it. The local newspaper got their hands on the report and dubbed the killings the result of El Vampiro de Moca, or the Moca Vampire. On March 7th, a cow was found dead with penetrating wounds on its skull and scratches around its body. Around this time, police came out and blamed the killings on, here we go, a satanic cult. They claimed to have arrested several men in connection to the cult that was sacrificing animals and drinking their blood. Case closed, right? Well, it totally would be. However, on March 12th, a farmer named Lucas Torres sees lights in the sky he claims look like, quote, lights of a police car. Torres says that he had talked to other farmers who noticed strange lights over previous locations of kills. So, unless the cult were also aliens, which is something that would be kind of cool, Something else is going on. March 15th, another farmer in Mocha loses 34 chickens, all drained of blood in one night. The same time, that same farmer who saw the lights, Luis Torres, kills two extremely large boa constrictors. The police and newspaper were quick to claim that these animals were the vampiric creatures terrorizing Mocha. However, just three days later, two more goats were found drained of blood and having puncture marks. The very next night, on the same farm... Hector Vega claims he lost 10 more goats, 7 were maimed, and 10 were completely gone. The panic got so bad that local agricultural co commission got involved and ordered the superintendent of police to redouble their efforts because the commission felt the kills, quote, could not have been caused by an animal. About a week later, on March 23rd, another animal was found dead, this time a pig. Felix Badillo discovered a dead pig missing an ear and a large hole in its head. Badillo claims none of the other animals alerted, and especially not his trained watchdog. Now here's where it gets a little weird. Two days later, a man by the name of Juan Muniz says that he was attacked by a creature, quote, covered in feathers while he was walking home. He claims the animal flew at him, and he threw rocks at it and hid in some bushes until it flew away. A week later in April, on April 2nd, Eight more goats and 12 rabbits were found dead in nearby Corozal. Isaro Melgar, owner of the animals, decided he, was going to be, he wasn't going to be a passive bystander. He set up a group of men to pull an all-nighter in an effort to see if any more animals would be killed. The first night, the men were able to stay up until 3 a.m., which I guess an all-nighter is just not the same as it was when I was a kid, before they called it a night. The next day, surprise, more dead animals. So Melgar got pissed and made sure everyone stayed up all night for real this time. The technique was successful for a couple nights until April 5th. On the night of April 5th, the all-night team stated they were deafened by a loud noise that blasted the area all around them. During this time, the men claimed they saw a figure run through the trees coming from the pasture where the animals were. 
The next morning, they discovered four dead goats. Then, strangely enough, a month goes by and there's no animal killings. Then on May 13th, a cortisol man who never divulged his name claimed to have seen a, quote, round-headed, hairy-tailed, one-eyed, one-horned, flying, purple people eater. Just kidding. I couldn't really help myself. <laughs> but in all seriousness, he did claim to see a round-headed, hairy-tailed, large-eyed creature that growled at him before running off. The same day, back in Mocha, three roosters, a rabbit, and five goats were all found dead. By the end of June, there were no more reports of animals being drained of blood or any strange deaths. So, what did the authorities decide in the official report on the spring and summer killings? Motherfucking satanic cults. The reason being that animal activity would have continued and that humans behind the massacres got scared and stopped. Okay, now we're going to go back to the future. Or present. Or, I guess, back to 1995. I hope nothing weird happened during our brief time travel. None of you, you guys got hit on by your team version of your mom, right? No? Okay, cool. You either got that reference or you didn't, by the way. I'm so sorry. Okay, so Madeline Tolentino reported her sighting to the authorities. They felt that perhaps the cult that may or may not have actually been responsible in the first place had come back. They began hunting down nearby occult groups to interview them for possible leads. While investigating, farmers in the nearby town of Borovis began discovering animals dead with similar causes. They had seen some variety of almost complete blood loss, no signs of predator activity, and almost surgical-like cuts to the animals. Authorities were unable to pin any specific suspects, so they expanded their search to include, quote, non-human killers. Some speculated that it was aliens due to the increase in UFO sightings in the area. Others claimed it was normal animal activity. Regardless of the outcome of the Puerto Rican investigations, the Chucacabra didn't have time to wait around for them to decide. In March of 1996, reports began coming in of animals being mutilated on a rural farm northwest of Miami, Florida. A couple months later, on May 2nd, a family near the Rio Grande Valley in Texas reported that their pet goat had been killed. The goat had three puncture wounds and had been drained of blood. The very same day, in Juarez, Mexico, a rancher reported his dogs were drained and killed in a similar fashion. A witness in Mexico claimed to have seen the animal and described it as having a row of spikes or feathers that ran down the spine. It stood upright like a kangaroo and had three toes. The next day, on March 3rd, the village of Calderon in northern Mexico claimed to have witnessed a bat-like creature that was killing goats during the evening. They formed a mob to hunt the creature, torches and pickforks in hand, but were unable to find the creature again. The story of animals being mutilated spread like wildfire, and stories of animals being drained of blood poured into the newspapers. In the Mexican state of Sinaloa, there were reports of cows and sheep being drained of blood. Witnesses say the creature were described as small and able to take flight. The Espinosa family in the city of Veracruz claimed a creature about three to four feet tall with scaly skin, clawed hands, red eyes, and spines on its back, attempting to get into their house. The family claimed that the creature mumbled and gestured. Could have also been a drunk person. Who knows? Finally, on May 12th, in Chiapas, I hope I didn't butcher that name, 28 rams were found dead one morning, all drained of blood. Now here's where the story gets interesting to me. The reports continued to pour on during the 90s and into the 2000s, and as attacks moved to the U.S., the description starts to change. 
The creature is still seen as small with red eyes and sometimes having spines or spikes on its back, but it doesn't go bipedal as much. The sightings start to sound more like dogs or coyotes, and one story of the U.S. Chukacabra is from a man who only goes by Kip. Kip was coming home from a friend's house when he saw something red in the trees. When he paused to look up, he claims, quote, I saw two glowing red eyes. Whatever it was stood up. It stood to be about three to three and a half feet tall. I had seen all those things about the Chukacabras on TV, and I did not believe them, but what I saw looked exactly like the description I heard on TV. The creature made a sound like a drunken dog or something, squealing like I have never heard before. I don't really know what a drunken dog sounds like. <laughs> it sounded unearthly. Then I saw something like a long tongue come out of its mouth and move around. My house was about three houses away, so I ran. And when he ran, the creature allegedly chased Kip down the street. Quote, It was in my neighbor's yard moving around. I pounded on the door to my house and rang the doorbell a lot of times. My stepdad opened the door, and when I turned around, the creature was gone. Now, near Hesperia, California, a farmer had an encounter in 2007 stating, quote, I encountered something trying to get my pig that was unbelievable. It looked like the goat sucker from the news. When I came around the corner, it stopped and looked up at me. My dog seemed to be afraid of it. It then disappeared into the bushes. The problem I have with most of these more recent reports is that in almost all the statements, they always claim to being something they had already heard of. Granted, we can't really change stories, but I wonder how much of this is like confirmation bias or, you know, just putting a familiar face, albeit this legendary one, to something we don't understand. The X-Files, for example, had an episode about the Chukacabra, so the idea was already out in mainstream. Granted, in that episode, it was like a fungus and not the legendary creature that's killing everything. But still, the fact that one of the most popular TV shows at the time did an episode shows the pop culture significance of El Chukacabra. I'm not saying these recent attacks didn't happen, but I'm also skeptical about people trying to maybe profit off of the story. Now, I can also sit here and just regale you with dozens of these other stories and sightings of recent attacks. And I won't do that because I respect your time. But I did want to tell you about this one story about a married woman who lived in the Wadas area in 1995. She claimed that she was attacked by a blood-sucking creature with red eyes that resembled a bat. But when investigators questioned her and looked at the mark on her neck, it was determined that she was lying and it was a hickey. And she was trying to find an excuse to tell her husband about her lover. So, that one's kind of crazy. Kind of full of shit. Anyway, so all joking aside, what is the Chukacabra? In recent years, there's been a lot of photos and videos circulating online that claim to be of the Chukacabra. And I'll tell you this, when you first look at them, some of them look legit. At least, they look like what my mind thinks of and probably what your mind thinks of when you think of the Chukacabra. However... Almost all the animals have been debunked as being either wild dogs or coyotes suffering from mange. Some animals that were photoed were also identified as the Raktha Afika, which I butchered that name, or the Vampire Kangaroo. It literally is the same description, sounds exactly of the original animal attack back in 1975 and 1995. But, sadly, the Vampire Kangaroo lives in India and has not been spotted anywhere in the US, Mexico, or Puerto Rico. Those pesky scientists again have doubled down with almost all the reports saying that the modern photos and claims of the Chukacabra are, like I mentioned earlier, sick animals. 
Furthermore, they say the accounts of the animals drained of blood all have scientific explanations. Ecologist, evolutionary biologist, and curator of the University of Michigan Museum of Zoology, say that five times fast, Professor Barry O'Connor says coyotes, wolves, and other wild dogs are affected by what he calls chukacabra syndrome, a syndrome which is caused by eight-legged mites called Sarcoptes scabii. And if that name sounds familiar, it's because it's the mite that causes scabies in humans. While scabies isn't super harmful to humans, in fact it can be treated pretty easily with a topical cream in almost all cases, that's because we're not nearly as hairy as wild dogs or, you know, these other wild animals. The average case of scabies in humans is the result of about 20 to 30 mites. Over the course of human evolution, we have also developed some natural defenses against the mites in general. However, as we have domesticated more animals, the mites have found new hosts, unfortunately. Hosts that have way less defenses than us. O'Connor says, quote, Whenever you have a new host parasite association, it's pretty nasty. It does a lot of damage and mortality can be relatively high because that host species has not had any evolutionary history with the parasite. So it has not been able to evolve any defenses like we have. The average case of coyotes and wild dogs with this affliction have hundreds of mites on their body, which is usually a fraction of the size of a human being. By the way, <laughs> do any of you feel like your skin is crawling right now with all this mite talk? I sure as hell have been squirming this whole time, and I hope it's not being picked up through the audio. But anyway, <laughs> when these animals become infected, it's basically a terrible slow death for them unless they're captured by wildlife experts. So how do they become the legendary chukacabra? Well, as the mites burrow into the skin, the burrowing itself causes lots of inflammation. Couple that with the destruction as they go down, the skin becomes thicker with the hair start to fall out. With this skin damage, bacteria is easily able to get into the skin, which causes it to turn a gray color as the cells die and produce a terrible smell. So you're starting to picture this small creature that has a thick, almost leathery skin that smells pretty terrible. Lastly, due to the slow process of dying, these animals are not able to hunt their normal prey, so they are usually malnourished. This malnourishment can cause the spine to be more pronounced and look like spines. Sadly, also because of their weakened state, they are forced to move into more domesticated areas and tend to hunt whatever they can come across, usually small animals, pets, and slow-moving livestock. The explanation for the small circular wounds is that the attacking animals are too weak to really kill instantly, so the wounded livestock just kind of slowly walk away and they end up dying very slowly, thus leaving little blood due to the slow drain. That part I don't really buy, but I'm also not a professional biologist, so take it you know how you will. This explains more modern scientists, and I'm going to throw up some pics for what you can kind of see what these mangy animals look like. But, what about the early reports of the Chukacabra dating back to the 70s and 90s, I hear you saying? Well, in 2011, an author by the name of Benjamin Radford wrote a book called Tracking the Chukacabra. In the book, amongst attempting to debunk the modern version of the Chukacabra with science, he points to the early depiction given by the 1995 witness Madeline Tolentino resembling a certain movie character. Radford contends that Tolentino was describing the creature of Sill, from the movie Species. In the movie Species, for those that you haven't seen it, an alien comes to Earth and attempts to breed with humans to create a mutant alien baby hybrid. 
The alien has long arms and spines on the back, so Radford says he believed Tolentino was confusing the two. I'll post a side-by-side picture of the two, and you can kind of see for yourselves. If this was the end, then sure, I would say it's a weird coincidence. However, during an interview with Radford, Tolentino mentioned that she had indeed seen the movie prior to seeing the creature with her mother. Radford claims, after interviewing Tolentino, he feels that she was concerned that the actual plot of Species was happening in her town. So, maybe Madeline Tolentino was full of shit, or based on the interviews, possibly having some kind of mental crisis, but some of the other depictions don't resemble each other. Now, there are two decent explanations according to science why they don't resemble. First, the director of the International Cryptozoology Museum in Portland, Maine, Lauren Coleman, says that the evolution is a result of a mistake and shame. Coleman states that the original reports out of Puerto Rico was, quote, understood to be a bipedal creature that was about a meter tall and covered in short gray hair with spikes out of its back. But then, due to mistranslations and the media just trying to create the best story, the creature morphed into something that the non-farming public could associate with, the now quadruped and more dog-like creature. Coleman says, quote, It was all a mistake. Because of the whole confusion, with most of the media reporting chucacabras now as dogs or coyotes with mange, you really don't hear any good reports from Puerto Rico or Brazil anymore like you did in the early days. Those reports have disappeared, and the reports of canids with mange have increased. Coleman also hypothesized that the reason we aren't hearing about the bipedal reports is because people want to be taken seriously and are scared to be lumped into the, quote, crazy group who see two-legged animals. Coleman did also leave room for some Puerto Rican explanation, albeit a more scientific one. They state that, quote, There was a population of rhesus monkeys being used in blood experiments in Puerto Rico at the time, and that troop could have gotten loose. It could be something that simple, or it could be something much more interesting, because we know that new animals are being discovered all the time. The other explanation blames the government. According to agricultural historian Michael Goleman, The early reports dating back to the 1970s were the result of farmers attempting to protest rising costs. In the 1970s, the U.S. began sending grain to nations of the world that have been having trouble feeding their citizens. Couple this with a freeze on the price of beef from President Nixon to combat inflation, and farmers were losing upwards of $5 billion. That's billion with a B every five years. Also, I don't know why they couldn't have said a billion dollars a year, but whatever. To combat this, farmers allegedly began to systematically mutilate their cattle in an effort to create more demand for their animals. Some evidence is provided in the sense that majority of the livestock mutilation occurred on small farms and ranches, whereas larger commercial ranches saw almost zero reports. Goldman says that due to the concern of mutilations, quote, paranormal activity seems a less likely explanation than a case of mass hysteria. So, What do I think? Because that's what you're here for, right? Aside from hopefully good storytelling, you want my opinion. Or, I don't know, I like giving my opinion. Well, we've covered mass hysteria in the past, and I think that's actually a pretty good explanation for some of the incidents. I think it was probably a combination of mass hysteria and people trying to capitalize on some 15 minutes of fame. Although, I definitely think there is some merit to the early reports coming out of Puerto Rico and the early U.S. reports, especially considering that the mainstream media didn't pick up on the Chukacabra craze until around the year 2000. As for modern sightings of the Chukacabra, 
I 100% side with the scientists and bi- biologists in that I think it's mostly wild dogs or coyotes or some kind of animal that's sick. Like I said, though, I don't buy the attacks being solely from these animals because even a canine tooth isn't going to be surgical all the time. So I'm kind of on the fence. I'm, I feel like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth, but it's I go both ways. Not like that. And maybe, maybe like Lauren Coleman mentioned in regards to the rhesus monkeys, we are always kind of discovering these new species of animals. So there could be this, you know, bipedal blood-sucking animal that evolved into some kind of quadruped animal as it migrated from the island of Puerto Rico to the mainland United States. One thing I know for sure is that in today's modern age, there will always be some kind of person who's going to want to get internet famous and go viral with some new batshit scheme. Alright, well, I think that about does it. I want to end with a little segment called, What Did We Learn? And if you guys hate this, please let me know. I can cut it. If you love it, please let me know. If it's meh, let me know. But I do like summation and, you know, to the point where I guess I can sum it up of like what, if anything, we learned. So with that being said, what did we learn? Again, we can do a jingle or something. If you have ideas, let me know. Well, well, I think we learned that human nature is a pretty wild thing. Our mind will put familiar faces to things we can't comprehend. See Madeline Tolentino seeing a creature and describing a movie villain instead of something real. Or the game of telephone and mistranslation that took a bipedal creature that sometimes has wings to a four-legged dog-like creature. Secondly, I wholeheartedly believe that Occam's razor is a thing. That being, the simplest answer is oftentimes the best one. In this case, either farmers purposely mutilating animals to protest the government having too much control in their business, or animals being infested with a creepy crawly microscopic mite. There is usually a simple explanation to the mysterious. And finally for today, everyone has an opinion and will defend their opinion even at the risk of falling into finding confirmation bias. I comb through tons of videos and lots of websites where people swore up and down that their stories were true and had the evidence to back it up. Even when refuted by science or logical explanations, they would default to Seeing is believing, and they saw what they saw, and no one's going to com- no one's going to change their opinion otherwise. Believers will find every reason why it's a mythic creature or some paranormal involvement. Skeptics will point to science, and one of my favorite phrases that goes, "The absence of evidence does not mean evidence of absence." Basically, just because we haven't been able to definitively disprove every case of every sighting, doesn't mean that the chupacabra exists. So that's going to do it for today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. I'm sorry it wasn't able to end on some cliffhanger or clever pun like I've done in the past. But this one was kind of fun and I feel like it was a pretty good one to get back in the swing of things. I definitely have always been a believer in most, you know, cases. I tend to, you know, go with the old adage, I want to believe. Uh, But in this case, (laughs) I kind of think a lot of the scientific evidence did sway me into the realm of more of being a skeptic this time. But please, let me know what you think of the new episode. Let me know what you think of the Chukacabra. Have you had experiences? Let me know. You can send out a message to the Instagram, which is Bearded Things Pod. The Facebook page, which, which is facebook.com slash beardedthings. The website is now defunct, like I said in the update. So please don't try to send a message through there. But you can email the show at beardedthingspod, all one word, at gmail. Thank you all for your continued support. And I appreciate you being patient with me during this long hiatus. And hopefully appreciate you for the future support. Uh, 
And with that, I hope you all enjoyed it, and I will talk to you in a couple weeks. Bye. The stories of animals being mutilated spread like wildflower. <laughs> wildflower. <laughs>